When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? I wonder when the um, last time was when you found yourself sort of all of a sudden plunged into darkness. Maybe it was like a power cut, maybe a fuse was blown, maybe a, a tree came down. There's something about like all of a sudden darkness that makes everybody excited, makes everybody sort of cheer. It's like when, you know, plate is dropped in, in a restaurant. So everybody instinctively cheers. It can be quite disorientating when you suddenly find yourself plunged into darkness. Um, we were at um, uh, Dover Castle like a year ago or so, and um, they have these tunnels under there. And that's somewhere where you get a sense of kind of the real darkness there is when you're totally enclosed. In the gift shop of, the, of, the, um, of Dover Castle, they had some of these posters from the Second World War. Posters from the time when London had a total and complete blackout in order to protect the city from bombing from the sky. So there's this complete blackout, but they needed posters around just to kind of warn people. I mean, it'd be a real shame if you were protected from the bombing, but ended up getting hurt in, in the blackout. So they had this series of posters, look out in the blackout, look out in the blackout. And this one, as you step out, of, for example, from a, um, a lit room or a lit train carriage, just look out as it takes a little while for your eyes to adjust to the dark. Look out in the darkness. And as I looked at this passage, it made, made me think that it's a little bit what, what we see in these words that were just read for us is something like this poster, look out in the darkness, in the blackout. Because as we move into John 18, in this moment, we see the disciples and Jesus with the disciples seemingly stepping out into the darkness. They've, they've been stepping out from the bright light of Jesus' presence with them, the bright light of Jesus speaking and teaching them and praying for them. You know, we've been working through John's gospel in chapters 14 to 17. Jesus has been helping them understand, like, look, when I'm gone, he's been preparing them for when he's gone. And now in chapter 18 onwards, that moment has come. 
And it's as if in these chapters, 18 to 19, it's, it's, it's a little bit like the darkness settles around them. And so these verses that we're looking at this morning, these verses are here to help us see in the dark, to help us step out in the dark. All that happens from now, chapter 18 through to chapter 19 that we're going to be looking at from now until Easter, they flow from these 11 verses that we're going to be looking at. And and they could be understood through these 11 verses. And, And as these verses lead us into the darkness, as we see the darkness of these events, they help us to see in the darkness that can so often settle around our lives. I mean, John wrote these words originally for disciples, that first generation of people who started to hear and follow Jesus, people who felt that following Jesus was a little bit like stepping into the dark, people who had to face loneliness and rejection, people who had to wrestle with doubt and uncertainty. John wrote these words so those Christians then might see and might believe. And those words written then are written for us today. People like us for those times when living as a Christian feels a little bit like stepping out of that carriage, stepping out of the light can feel like stepping into the darkness. I don't know if you have that feeling. From Sunday, where everything sort of makes sense and the people around you believe what you believe, into Monday, where it just all seems a little bit different. Or maybe you've been used to kind of family and friends, you've grown up as a Christian, but then you step out into university, or you head out to school, or you get together with your friends, and it's a bit like stepping from the light into the darkness. Or maybe you know that movement from, oh, I feel so determined to live as a Christian. I feel so sure about what I believe. And then you face temptation and you face doubt. Or maybe for you, it's just like looking around. Other people seem so certain. Other people seem so confident. But all I have is sort of doubt and insecurity. Well, these verses are for us today. They are here so that we might be able to see and find our way in the dark. What they say to us this morning is in the darkness, as you step from Sunday into Monday, as you step from confidence into facing doubt and temptation and uncertainty, they say in the darkness, three things, see the glory of Jesus as he saves us through his death. Let's trace that out for us, the way these um, verses began. If you've got your Bibles um, there, page 1089, just the bottom right-hand side is, is where it begins. Um, and we begin these verses with this scene with, with Jesus and his disciples stepping out into the dark. I mean, literally, they are literally stepping out into darkness, verse 1. Um, they've been together, sharing a meal together. And when Jesus spoke these words, he, over the page, went out with his disciples across into this garden um, outside of the city. He's, he's literally stepping out into the dark, but more deeply, something sinister is happening. Judas comes. Judas, who betrayed him, knew where he would be and comes for him. The last time we saw Judas, 
it was flipped back um, to John chapter 13, verse 30. It's the bottom right-hand side of page 1085. This is Judas, who Jesus knew would betray him, who takes bread from Jesus, shares this meal with Jesus, 1330, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. That's the Judas who comes in verses two and three. And Judas knows where Jesus will be back now in John 18 on page 1090. Judas knows when, where, um, uh, where Jesus will be. And he brings with him this crowd, these soldiers with him. Um, we were actually, makes me think we were in um, the Tower of London uh, on Friday night, seeing a ceremony where they lock up the Tower of London at night. And there are hardly any tourists there, a small group of people to see the ceremony, this ancient ceremony they have. But it's there, it's the darkness. And you see these soldiers going through their drill. And it's all very formal, and it's all very ceremonial. But you see these guys and how trained they are, and the crowd, like the little group who watches is dead hush and total respect. Because there's this sense of like, these guys at the moment are doing a ceremony and doing a drill. I would hate to meet these guys if they were cross. I would hate for the, I'm pleased they're on my side, as it were, there in the darkness. Well, here, it's a bit like those moments in one of those movies where in the darkness, you see the sort of, the silent guys creep into the area. The SWAT team arrive. The well-trained soldiers come. That's what we see in verse 3. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers, officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with the lanterns and the torches and their weapons. And it's not just that kind of sinister. It's so deeply sad as well. This garden, Judas knew where he would be. It's this place that meant so much to Jesus and his disciples. Like it says, they so often met there with his disciples. This place that was this place of friendship is now this place of betrayal. And so in verses two and three, it's as if the events are slipping out of Jesus' hands. As, as Jesus steps out into the darkness, Judas comes leading this band of soldiers, this crowd with their torches, this crowd with their weapons. And it seems in this moment as if the darkness belongs to Judas. But it's at this point in the darkness that the glory of Jesus shines through. Let's ping on to the next slide. You see, in this moment, we're able to see Jesus' glory because as Judas meets Jesus in the garden, we find however things may seem, that the darkness does not belong to him. I mean, we just see the way Jesus takes over all the events that take place. The crowd come in verse three, then verse four. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. He, he, Jesus knows. And Jesus is in control. Whom do you seek? He takes control. And he takes control. He knows. And he takes control because there in the darkness, Jesus is God. He is the Lord. Have a listen to verses five and six. 
Whom do you seek? Jesus says at the end of verse 4. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, the first thing is just to catch just how ridiculous this moment is and almost how comical it is. So Jesus, this kind of the SWAT team arrives and you've got to capture kind of an unarmed group of fishermen and their teacher. And so kind of this massive overcall, they all arrive and then Jesus says, so who is it you want? That's me. And all he says is, I am, and they just fall to the ground. They just collapse before him. But as we see, just the... uh, just two words from Jesus, throw them to the ground. As we see just how kind of ridiculous that is, you could also feel the weight of what it is that's happening because you can glimpse something of the glory of Jesus, the identity of Jesus in those words. Because those words, it's as if verses five and six go into slow motion as this kind of critical encounter comes. They, they say they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth and look again at verse six. Um, verse 5 of what he says. Verse 5, I am he, Jesus says. Verse 6, when, they said to, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. It's helpful in our, in our English Bibles here. They just have a little one and two and you glance down and it says that actually the word kind of behind that is just simply Jesus saying, I am. I am. And all of a sudden we realize that Jesus isn't just raising his hand and identifying, identifying himself as the man they're looking for, what he's actually doing is revealing himself to be the God, the creator, the one the universe must bow down before. You know, because from the very first pages of the Bible, as God calls his people to know him as he makes himself known. He's made himself known through the word in Hebrew, Yahweh. In Greek, Egoemi. In English, I am. And, and, and he is Yahweh, I am, the one saviour God, from the first pages of the Bible and from the first pages of John's gospel, we've been promised that that God, that creator, that ruler, Yahweh, I am, that that is the God that we meet in Jesus. That Jesus is the God who created all things. That Jesus is the God who ruled over all things. That Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is I am. And in verse six, as Jesus speaks his name, He gives a glimpse of his identity and that reality brings his enemies to their knees. Kind of reminds me of that bit in um, uh, Lion King. Some people may be more familiar than this than others when the hyenas are there and they're they're, they're getting cross about the other lions and one of them mentions, yeah, I really don't like Mustafa. I'm really on my my own with this. And one of them goes, Mustafa, don't say that name. And he goes, that that name gives me the creeps. He goes, Mustafa. And it's like, kind of, look look it up. Um, uh, (laughs) But it's just that name that kind of, oh, it just expresses its power and his identity. In this moment, in this darkness, the truth about Jesus, even in this darkness, especially in this darkness, is seen. That darkness that has been brought by Judas does not belong to Judas. It does not belong to him. In the darkness, 
Jesus knows. In the darkness, Jesus is in control because in the darkness, Jesus is God. So if you've ever had to kind of look after a kid as it's bedtime, maybe you've been babysitting, maybe it's your own kids, you know, it's that sense of you try with all the lights off and then they ask for the nightlight on, they ask for the lights on. You know, when the darkness is there, they sort of feel a little bit unsettled. Having the nightlight on feels like it's okay. People know what's going on. The darkness isn't the only thing. There's that nightlight. But obviously things scale up and sometimes the nightlight won't do and they need you in with them. Because it's not just that, that the darkness is not the only thing. It's not just that they are out there. It's that, okay, the babysitter, mom and dad or uncle or aunt, whoever it is, grandparents, they're here with me. They're with me and it's okay. They're in control. I can just rest. And in a similar way here, as we step with these verses into the darkness, we can see the kind of the light of Jesus. The darkness isn't the only thing, but more than just seeing the light of Jesus, we feel the presence of Jesus and the power of Jesus in that darkness. Jesus is there. He is in control. He is God. And so when we go from here, when we kind of step out into that darkness, when we feel the pressure of doubts closing around us in our hearts, or when darkness seems to settle and thicken around us, it could look a lot like that night. It could look like the darkness belongs to my doubts. The darkness belongs to my suffering but in the midst of that, like a child, we can look out and see the light. But more than see the light, we can feel his presence. And more than just have his presence, we can know his power. You see, these verses teach us to see in the dark. To see in the dark the glory of Jesus. The one who is God. The one who knows. The one who's in control. Now, but it might be that you're here thinking, okay, that, that, sounds, that sounds great. Um, you're saying that Jesus knows. You're saying that Jesus is in control. But what is he doing? <laughs> I mean, if he's in control, what actually is he doing? Um, you're saying to see the glory of Jesus, but I find it possible to make him out in the dark. And so, having called us to see the glory of Jesus in the darkness, these verses go on to help us to recognize him. And verses seven and eight then show us that in the, in, in the darkness, we can see the glory of Jesus as he saves. You see, the reason why Jesus takes control, the reason why Jesus makes himself known is, pop on to the next slide, it is so that Jesus might save. It is so that he might keep his disciples safe. Have a look at verse seven and eight. Um, verse 7, Jesus asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am here. So again, it's quite funny. Sorry, get up. Who was it you were after again? It's me. And then he says, this control, how does he use that control? I told you I'm he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the words he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. 
Jesus tells them who he is in verse six, but he shows, he shows us who he is in verses seven and eight. The glory of God, the identity of the I am, that is revealed as Jesus saves and as he keeps his people secure. Yeah, this is what, have a look at these Bible verses. This is what Jesus has been promises, promising all the way through um, the, John. So if we look at the next slide, this is what he's promised in, oh, so it's pretty small. Um, but it's John 6, verse 39, when he says, um, those you have given me, I will lose none of those he has given me. Look at the end of John 10, 29 there. Those who Jesus, the Father has given to, um, uh, to him. Verse 17, he prays. Um, I've kept them, those you have given to me. This is what he has promised. This is what Jesus has prayed, that the Father has given a people, a people that he would keep and hold secure. And what he has promised and what he has prayed, he now pictures in these verses as he saves. Let's go to the next slide. You see, The glory of Jesus is revealed as the Father gives him a people. And and the glory of Jesus is revealed as Jesus, given these people, saves them and keeps them and keeps them secure in his hands. The Father loves and glorifies the Son by giving the Son a people. And the Son loves and glorifies the Father by receiving this gift and keeping this gift secure. So in the darkness, we see the glory of Jesus as he saves, as he keeps the people given by the Father. That's an extraordinary thing. Like when you're in pitch, total pitch darkness, it's actually really hard to... um, uh, keep your balance and, and, and to kind of stand firm. We once, I remember as a kid, we went to some, um, a cave in the Lake District. I can't remember where it was. We went down into this cave and they said, you know, you rarely experience total darkness. So what I'm going to do is switch off all the lights and just be careful because it will be pitch dark. And I remember that was about 10 at the time going, mm, yeah, I'm, I can cope in the dark. I'm all right. I'm a big boy. And, um, and sure enough, they did it. And it was extraordinary. After a little while, I felt myself sort of disorientated So I felt my dad's hand squeezing my hand and keeping me secure, keeping me on my feet, keeping me from tumbling over. Well, in the darkness, Jesus keeps the people given to him by the Father. You know, his, the the, the glory of Jesus is that he is the son who's been given a people by the Father. The glory of Jesus is that he is the son who keeps a people for the father. His glory is his love for the father expressed in his love for us. Yeah, so what does the glory of Jesus look like? What it looks like is that Jesus, no matter how thick the darkness, that Jesus is right now keeping his people. 
He is keeping his people secure in his hand. Whenever the darkness disorientates us, whenever we fear we're going to lose our footing or fall, as Jesus promised, as he prayed, as we see pictured in these verses, he is holding us tight and he will never let us go. So in the darkness of temptation or opposition or persecution, whatever may come our way, he knows he's in control and no power can snatch us from his hand. Or in the darkness of guilt and shame, I need to remember that Jesus loves me because he loves his Father. And he can no sooner let go of me than he can let go of his father. Or in the darkness of suffering, his hold on me is as secure as is his heart for his father. In the darkness, he will not, he cannot let me go. And so when, when we feel like me in that cave, disorientated by the dark, these verses lead us to feel Jesus' hand closing around us, squeezing us, holding us tight, keeping us firm. We see and we feel his glory when we see and feel he saves us and keeps us and will never let us go. And so in the darkness, these verses, they want us to help us make out the shape of Jesus in the dark to see him and know him. We see his glory as, uh, we, we've seen his glory, we see, we see that glory as he saves. But it still might be that that light, that that outline is a little bit too fuzzy, still a little bit, still a little bit unclear. It might be that you hear this and you go, okay, you say that he'll save me, but it doesn't feel like it. You say that he will keep me, but it doesn't look like it. You say that he's in control because he's God. You, you, you say that we can glimpse that glory as he saves his people, but I just don't see it in my life. And so that's why we need these final two verses. See, we see Jesus' glory as he saves his people, and we see that as he suffers for his people, as he dies on the cross. We see that through his death. So verse, verse 10, um, Peter takes up his sword. And, and it's as if Peter decides in that moment he must act. He, he attacks one of the servants of the high priest. His sword catches him in the side of the head and cuts off his ear. Now it might be that, that Peter had given up, had seen the weakness of Jesus and had sort of given up. It might have been that um, Peter saw the bravery of Jesus and felt emboldened and wants a show of power. But either way, Jesus says, this is not the way that salvation will come. Jesus tells Peter to, to, to put away the sword he has taken because Jesus says that he will receive the cup that he's been given. Just look at the last verse there. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
Jesus saves the people given by the Father, verse nine. Yeah, that people in verse nine, given by the Father. Jesus saves the people given by the Father in verse nine by drinking the cup given by the Father in verse 11. The, the cup that Jesus mentions in these verses is an image used throughout the Bible for the final judgment of God. You could see it in this um, example in uh, Psalm 75 that describes the cup of judgment that God will pour out on the world that will reject him. This cup of judgment on wickedness of the rejection of God, that is a cup that Jesus drinks for his people as he dies instead of them. So let's go to the next slide. Jesus saves the people given by the Father in verse nine as he drinks the cup given by the Father in verse 11. Peter wants to save Jesus from that mob by drawing his sword, but Jesus saves his people from eternal death by suffering and dying for them on the cross. You see, in verses eight and nine, we saw that Jesus' love for the Father is expressed in his love for us. And here in verses 10 and 11, this love for the Father leads him to suffer and to die for us. And so in the midst of the darkness, these verses point us to the love of Jesus that shines from the cross. At the cross, we see how his people are saved. At the cross, we see how much his people are loved. So if in the darkness, if in the darkness I struggle to, to make out the glory of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, well, if that's me, then these verses call me to look again at the cross. A couple of weeks ago, we were staying with some friends. I was in, I don't know if you've had this moment, we're staying in a different room and different place. I wake up in the middle of the night to a sound and I try to fit those sounds in with our house of like what the doors are and where we are and I'm looking around. And there's almost a sense of like, the more I look around, the more disorientated I get. And so I just need to kind of almost shut my eyes and remember, oh no, we're in their house and it's like this. I just need to remember where we are. You know, nothing I see makes sense until I remember well, in the same way, when we face the darkness, when we are disorientated by what we see, what we need to do is remember. We are saved, verses eight and nine, because Jesus died, verses 10 and 11. At the cross, Jesus takes the cup of judgments from the Father. At the cross, Jesus takes the cup of judgments for his people. So to know Jesus' love, to see his glory, when all I see and feel is my sin and shame, well, I look that the cup of judgment has been drunk. That, that is how I know I'm loved. That is how I know I'm secure. That cup of judgment for that sin and that shame has been drunk. Or when all I feel is suffering, and insecurity. Well, the one circumstance in my life that I can be sure of is that Jesus suffered on the cross for me. I am loved 
And I know that not because of what I see. I know that not because of what I feel. I know that because what I remember of what Jesus did on the cross for me. And if I go from here, if I face doubts, either from others or even from my own heart, I can remember the cross. Jesus was faithful to his Father. Jesus was faithful to die for me. He was faithful to keep hold of me. And my faith might be weak, but my faith is not in my faith. My faith is in Jesus. And he was faithful to die for me. In the darkness, we see the glory of Jesus as he saves his people by going to the cross. And so, just going back to where we begin, as we go from here, look out in the blackouts. Look out in the blackout. As we go from here, as the darkness, these verses, as the darkness comes in, these verses help us see in the dark. I mentioned that poster about look out in the blackout. This was another one. Go carefully and get there. Go carefully. You'll find your way home. Well, in the dark, we see the glory of Jesus because he saved us, because he suffered for us. And as we fix our eyes on him, no matter how deep the darkness, he will make sure we get there. He will bring us home. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that even in that darkness, you showed that you were God, you were in control, working to save. So Father God, whatever this darkness might be that, that we are stepping into, that we've brought with us here this morning, that we're stepping out to as we go from here and the rest of the week, help us in the midst of that see the glory of Jesus. And would we know that he saves as we remember the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.